people expect to know everything that's going on in the company and they're used to it. But when company grows to, let's say, 70 people, then naturally, even those early people don't know all the things that are going on in the company anymore. And there might be a feeling that it's becoming already a corporation. Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to Mission First, the podcast to learn from successful entrepreneurs changing the world for the better. In today's mini-series, my guest is Robin Southworks, CEO of eAgronom, the company fighting climate change by supporting sustainable farming. One of the big challenges when growing your company is keeping your focus. How do you prioritize and how do you attract new talent? How do you keep a small company mindset while growing your company from 10 to 70 employees? Stay with me for the last episode of this mini-series to learn how Robin, our guest, did that successfully with eAgronom. I'm curious, how do you prioritize everything you can potentially develop? Because on one side, you know, you have the farmer needs, you have the legislation parts, the partners. You could go into thousands of different directions every month and what you, you want to develop. So I'm curious here, can you share a bit about what's your prioritization process in your product development? Yeah, that's uh, super difficult. Totally agree. There are more things that we can do uh, than we are able to do. We have the culture, farmer first culture in the company. So we always try to put farmer interest in the first place. And that's, that's also tricky because uh, uh, obviously farmer asks for feature that is not aligned with our strategy currently, then, uh, well, it might, some people may feel that uh, if you don't develop this feature right away, then it's uh, not farmer first. Uh, also, on the other hand, we have the clear mindset that we don't want to do greenwashing. And again, there, sometimes there is conflict. Like for farmer, it's easier and simpler to, uh, to basically go under the bar. But if we want to avoid greenwashing, then uh, we have to have some tougher rules and make it more difficult for farmers actually to create those credits. So over there, uh, I guess it's a lot of discussions where we just have set uh, principles, uh, like, okay, we want to do best for farmers, but we will never do greenwashing. And then on the product strategy side, doing decisions that hurt. Uh, we have many customers who are also using us as a farm management software, not only as a carbon software, but the focus today is carbon. So even though uh, we could do more like a financial planning and something financial management, something that farmers are asking for, uh, we are saying no to these things and focusing only on the, on the carbon credit side. And the same, same thing with regional focus, even more difficult actually. And th this is something that weekly I have to remind to myself and then to other people as well, that when there is a really good contact coming from, uh, I don't know, North America or South America or Asia, then uh, we have to say no to those today because we have to focus on the existing business in Europe and Africa. I'm very glad to hear that because I think learning to say no is one of the hardest things to do, especially as a CEO, which you, you basically like, everybody's asking you about everything all the time. So uh, yeah, congratulations for that part. And thank you for, for sharing this, this part of the process. So after we just talked about how you, know, you brought the carbon credits in the agriculture sector, I'd like to focus the next part on 
how you grew this company from 10 to 70 people. So we could focus on, you know, the early, very early stage. What is very interesting about your company is that you are the last co-founder. He's still there. And uh, you also had a very interesting story about a, a co-founder that joined later, which was from a very impressive company that you're probably going to explain to. And so let's focus on this side. How did you grow from 10 to 70 people? What were the biggest challenges? Can you explain us a bit more about this? Yeah, absolutely. So from those first 10 people, uh, I think there is me left and uh, two other people in the company right now, two engineers. Uh, and yeah, then the first co-founder, uh, he actually left quite recently and that's fine. We are still friends, but building a, like be, be, building a company that is like 10 people is quite different from organization that has close to 100 people already. When you hire new people, then uh, uh, the recruitment process uh, very important and how to attract talent, etc. But the biggest, like interesting learning for me was that first of all, uh, people who join you in the beginning are quite different from the people who you need in the future. And that might be from cultural best perspective, but also from the uh, experience perspective. So in the beginning, you need uh, hackers, basically people who hack things together and move fast and uh, uh, try out all possible ways quickly. Uh, maybe uh, saying first and then thinking and or doing first and then thinking and, and et cetera. And then another thing is the, that um, in the beginning, people, uh, and that's actually positive and good, people expect to know everything that's going on in the company. And they're used to it. And that's totally fine. We have a very transparent company. All the financial metrics are uh, available and etc. But when company grows to, let's say, 70 people, then naturally, uh, there are, uh, even those early people don't uh, know all the things that are going on in the company anymore. And uh, sometimes when uh, some things uh, are surprises for them, uh, then they may have some uh, tough feelings. Uh, because that's not how it used to be. Um, and and uh, there might be a feeling that it's becoming already a corporation and etc. Even though then when there are some co people coming uh, in later, then for them the transparency level is actually huge. So that's, that's the biggest, um, uh, like a, maybe not the learning, uh, because I think there is nothing to do, but to understand that that's fine. Uh, if there are different people for different uh, times. But that was a big surprise, I guess, for me, something I didn't think about. I thought, okay, with these guys, we will uh, go forever. And then the other other part, um, we had a new co-founder who joined us later, Christian Luha. Uh, he brilliant guy. He was 20 years in Nike at the famous US sports company, head of Nike Russia, head of Nike Greece, head of Nike football marketplace. In relation to your, your passion too. Exactly. And I think that's how we really matched. So we met uh, accidentally in Costa Rica. We played uh, volleyball over there and we became friends. We chatted and, uh, and so on. And his wife actually has told me that uh, from the moment he saw me uh, chatting to his husband under the tree in the shadow about football, he knew that something bad might come out of it. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> 
meaning that uh, that uh, he might might uh, join this crazy uh, startup, and he actually uh, left Nike uh, quite soon, and uh, well, less than a year later from the first meeting, he actually joined uh, eAconom, and that has been really nice uh, to have him uh, on board. And actually, most of them are the best hires have been those kind of unofficial uh, similar stories with uh, CFO uh, who met with our uh, team in uh, startup party in uh, our hometown and it was also not official but uh, uh, discussions started moving from there that uh, he's also looking around and uh, he had been um, CFO of one of the uh, I guess one of the biggest startups in Estonia called Skeleton, one of the most successful startups. And after that went to F10, which is a 1.4 billion real estate fund. And he was head of investor relationships there. And he was, uh, well, actually looking to go back to the startup uh, field and uh, approached him kind of in, a, in the right moment. Uh, but I think it would have been impossible to hire him through regular recruitment uh, channel, like just posting an ad somewhere and uh, getting him interested and applying for the job and so on. We have we have some brilliant people who joined us that way as well, uh, but uh, many of the best recruits uh, have came through unofficial channels. And uh, there has to be this click as well. Uh, if best best hires are the ones who are really really inspired about the mission uh, and what what you're doing so if there is no click then there is no point in uh, pushing it yes and starting with a mission then it's also very very important one question i have regarding you mentioned that christian luha the person who joined from nike he's a co-founder is the cfo a co-founder too the third question being, how do you manage to attract these people, to attract someone who's been working for years for a big corporate company like Nike? Of course, there is like the mission can be very strong and they can be exceptions. They are so motivated by that that they, they want to put aside, you know, any like like all the money side. Uh, but I can imagine as well that because you are a startup, you can offer shares. This is a point for some people to to join that you can make them co-founder in that case and not only like recruiting them as employees well i think they're both they're both partners certainly and uh, and indirect the cfo is uh, certainly a really close uh, uh, partner as well but i think the biggest uh driver behind both of them joining uh are a few things so uh, first of all they were both in really good companies before but uh, i think they are both enjoying right now this hands-on approach and seeing things moving. Uh, if you are in, like, I don't know how many, but I assume tens of thousands or even 100,000 plus people working in Nike. Uh, when you're working in a HQ, then most likely when you do some decisions or you push something, then things start moving two years later. So that's that's how you see your results. Uh, you don't have this direct impact uh, uh, with customers and the relationships with customers, especially if you're in the HQ. Uh, so both of them, uh, it seems that they're enjoying this uh, opportunity to really build something and move things forward and see the results. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of beauties in, in their like, current companies and like having being part of this big corporation. 
but uh, but that's the thing I talked before as well. For different people, I think different times, you have to find the right time as well. So the mission has to click, but then the timing has to click as well. Uh, and then the other thing, I, another thing that um, about attracting, most people don't ask them. Some 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 people, uh, I think even Chris, some, some people ask from Christian this, that, hey, how, from all the companies in Estonia, why did you choose here for long? And like, he didn't have any, like, uh, he developed a relationship with me and uh, I offered him, like, there was no one else uh, approaching as well. And obviously, uh, other companies, uh, uh, well, at that point, we already had the personal relationship and he, ha he liked our, our company. But I think there are many people uh, with his experience around the world who would be ready to exper experiment uh, and go into startup uh, and try it out. But uh, no one has approached them with this idea because they think uh, it's, it's impossible. And for those uh, people like for Nike or any other big corporation, then big having this kind of a thing in a, they have nothing to lose. Uh, let's say they would uh, be two or three years in a startup. Uh, if things go well, they can continue and, uh, and build a longer period over there and uh, everything goes fine. And uh, even financially, they're doing uh, probably even better than they would do in the big corporation. And if, uh, but if they want, they can also take two or three or even one year period uh, and they will uh, get a lot of experience, different experience, something they can bring then uh, to their next big corporations because they're for sure they are uh, expected back over there as well and uh, waited back over there as well. Daring to ask is probably the, the bottom line here. I agree with you that's probably lots of people are, don't dare to ask other potential talent for to join the company because you just see them at so big companies. Thank you very much for, for that advice, uh, Robin. Could you tell me what was the biggest challenge for you in all these years with eAgronom? You know, if you take into account not only growing your team, but what you described about, you know, finding a business model and, you know, starting, kicking off that company. What do you think, what do you recall is that was your biggest challenge so far? I think the one you mentioned as well, keeping the focus and deciding uh, what is the thing to focus on. Because especially if company grows, you have uh, more and more things that you can do. Uh, you have more resources as well, and it seems that you can manage it all. Uh, but actually you can't. It's, it makes sense to perfect, uh, to, to, make, to decide on your focus and uh, come perfect on that. And then when company is uh, very big, then you can start adding new, I don't know, verticals or new markets. But uh, keeping the focus and deciding what the focus is has been the most difficult. Coming to the last questions, what is the best advice you've been given as an entrepreneur? I think it's, it's actually even maybe a famous quote, I don't know who said uh, this first, but uh, I heard it from uh, one of the investors uh, said that uh, opportunities multiply when they're seized. So uh, when you use the opportunity, then they actually multiply. And this is what we have seen as well. You don't need to uh, have, the, have everything figured out. Uh, and uh, let's see, there is an opportunity and you see this in front of you, 
but you see a lot of challenges as well, and you don't know how to overcome them. Once you start figuring out, then there is high likelihood that you find your way, you learn something new uh, from there. And uh, related to this, something that we have noticed also is that uh, nothing is never as good or as bad as it first seems. Uh, almost daily, uh, or at least weekly, we get some kind of news like yeah, that uh, says that our well, some really big problem is or some there's some really big problem, and then uh, always we see that okay, there was a calculation error or, or there is another thing to consider, and vice versa as well. Almost weekly, we see huge opportunities that should become uh, like that that could be. Uh, grow our revenues uh, 10x in a year or something like this. But then obviously if you go start looking deeper, then you see um, some of the challenges as well. But I, I think in general, uh, uh, it's fine if you don't know, uh, if you don't have everything figured out, uh, in the beginning, you will find your way. Let me dig a bit deeper into that part because this is at the same time, this is very good, but contradictory to what you explained before as well. The showing how difficult your life is every day. How do you know when it's an opportunity you should take and, you know, figure it out on the way? And how do you know this is actually something you shouldn't be focusing at the moment? What's your decision process like to be able to differentiate between an opportunity you can start or explore and an opportunity you should, you know, wait yeah, well, it's aligned with our strategy and uh, and I guess our values as well. Uh, I mean, like strategy-wise, uh, uh, does it contribute to the core markets we're focusing and the core business that we're focusing, the current credits? Uh, and uh, and then obviously, uh, what are the alternatives? So, uh, and I think in the end, so that's, it's quite, it's doable right now to say that, to say no to things that are in North America, let's say, or to say no to uh, some things that are not related to carbon. But then even inside this, uh, you have like different opportunities. And uh, then there's the question, what's the opportunity cost? So what won't be done? Uh, and I think this is more of a, we don't have formula over there. It's discussion and uh, decision. But it's, a, at the same time, I think there are several ways to the same place or to the same success. So uh, in most cases, it probably even wouldn't matter which way you go, but it more it matters more, uh, the execution matters more, how well you actually execute on the opportunity. Yeah, so you shouldn't be overthinking too much. But you, you've already explained it, as you said, you have no formula, but it's still very clear in your mind from what you're explaining. And thanks for sharing that. You, know, you have the three key questions that you ask yourself every time. Which book would you recommend entrepreneurs like you to read? There are many books and in general. Uh, also not for entrepreneurs, but I recommend uh, uh, reading and learning some things that you enjoy uh, and like, and like because you never know uh, which things will be helpful for you in the future. Uh, so if you don't know which things will be helpful in the future, and it's likely that almost everything that you learn is helpful, then it makes sense to use the time while doing things that you enjoy, because then that's the way how you can actually become good at it, because 
if you enjoy, you will most likely do it more than others and you will become good. So that would be the general advice. But uh, just taking, there's, I, I'm a big reader, but just taking uh, uh, rant, uh, one of the books that I have on the shelf, uh, I have a several of one of those. Uh, it's in four obsessions of an extraordinary executive. And uh, I have many of the, uh, these books, these are something that they give to uh, uh, people in Eafrenum and then other entrepreneurs who I meet and uh, who I feel like, okay, they, they need that kind of a book. But uh, one of the main points over here is that uh, for companies to be successful, they have to be healthy and they have to be smart. Smart is the strategy part and the sales strategies and uh, and uh, product uh, development, etc. And healthy is how they operate, the culture, the recruitment processes, the people about evaluation processes and so on. And uh, the idea is that most companies focus more on being smart. So the strategy and so on are too little on being healthy. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that's, that's something that uh, this book explains quite well what it means to build a healthy company. And uh, it's also a good reading, especially for those who, who like stories because it is written as a, as a story of, uh, of uh, two companies uh, that are not real, but uh, that have many uh, characters of a real company. From who is it? It's uh, Patrick Lencioni. And um, when you think about not books, but podcasts or you know, blogs or influencers, which one would you recommend to follow? Maybe to answer it differently than uh, it's not the podcast, but, uh, but I'm using Audible uh, a lot. And over there, the book that I'm reading right now, and I think, well, it's, it's a book that... Um, I think most startup uh, builders wouldn't read or listen. Uh, the book, this book is called uh, Creating It Out, and uh, it's about um, uh, building uh, McDonald's. So uh, Ray, Ray Kroc himself wrote the book, so the founder of uh, McDonald's, and uh, it's, um, it's a really nice uh, read and uh, a lot of, because many, Many of, I think the many opportunities in the startup field right now rely not on, uh, not on uh, really pure technology businesses, but some business sectors that uh, uh, could be reinvented via technology. So let's say the transportation sector, it's uh, the Uber or Bolt in Estonia. Uh, they have, uh, uh, they're using technology to make this taxi business or the commuting business more efficient. And uh, I think for to get some learnings about building companies like this, then McDonald's is a, a quite good case study. This is a, a very, very good point that Witzel van der Werf also brought in the episodes, I think, 20-something from Mission First, just looking right now, where he actually... Where is it? Witzel van der Werf, episode 22, uh, about how to build an enterprise with a social and environmental impact. And he also explained very, very well how by observing well, one of the most impactful 
projects in history coming from President Roosevelt in the United States, how he immobilized all the troops to plant trees at the time, like resulted in a super big environmental impact. And it, it, that was his idea in a completely different vertical uh, and a completely different time, looking at that, how he got the idea of let's do the same thing, like mobilize people to join the maritime industry and to create a service, uh, a maritime service in that case called Sea Ranger Service, with the same mission of you know trying to have a positive impact on the world. I think that's a characteristic from a lot of entrepreneurs I see, is that you could argue that you know you are definitely having a positive impact on the world and that you should be focusing on, you shouldn't care about McDonald's, but actually by studying successful people around ourselves, even though you could argue about you know, positive impact on McDonald's on the world, but in the recipe for success, there are some ingredients you can take and use. Absolutely. I can, I can give an example right away here with McDonald's. Uh, and you're true, like in general, uh, and I'm also not sure about McDonald's uh, positive impact on the world, but uh, they have uh, in the menu, they have uh, salad. And uh, because this is because they have the salad, the menu, they can easily say that uh, uh, today at least they can easily say that, uh, hey, uh, uh, like we are not, uh, it's people's free choice if they take burger or they take salad. So we are doing golf. All that we are doing is very good and that's fine. And then uh, when we thought, okay, how to get the first banks on board for green loans, then we figured out that today uh, the green loan can also be like a salad in banks uh, portfolio. So that might be the first step. And I'm sure that the other steps will follow and at one point the uh, green loan will be considered as a regular loan. But just to get started, then we changed our approach. So instead of trying to convince uh, banks that, hey, green loan is the future and uh, your whole portfolio will be green loan, we decided to explain them that, hey, you want to have the salad in your menu. Otherwise you will get scrutinized. Uh, and if you have the salad in the menu, then it's easier for you to switch later uh, if stronger regulations come in. So uh, there, are, there are learnings. Um, uh, certainly on like, but in general, I think that's again, the point that uh, you should listen and read whatever interests you, because then you can find those connections because you're reading or listening uh, with your full focus. Last question. Can you tell us one thing about you that I wouldn't be able to find out online? Good question. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite challenging these days. Uh, because every, almost everything is, uh, online, uh, and I'm not sure if it's publicly available online, but, uh, just this summer, I actually got married. I guess that's, um, a good thing to have in life as well. Uh, I guess partner in crime, someone who is, uh, pushing you forward. And, uh, I can, in my case, my wife, Kelly, uh, she's from another industry, so she's a medical, uh, doctor, but, uh, uh, the one thing that is common is that we are both um, love to sports. Even though me being uh, really busy with the business, I, that's something where I went to the slippery road and I didn't exercise that much anymore until meeting her. And uh, uh, it has been, well, time together with her has been 
quite uh, intense on the physical side as well, like running every morning and going to gym in the evening. But it's it's really good to um, uh, have a, a partner with whom you can share those moments, um, uh, maybe also that are not connected uh, to building a business. I completely agree. And so congratulations again for the wedding. And thank you again for today. Do you have any ask you would like to ask our audience? Uh, are you recruiting? Are you looking for investors? Well, both are, I, I guess in general, if, uh, if people see that it makes sense to uh, get in contact with me, then feel free to write robin at efnam.com. And uh, we are always recruiting, uh, always uh, fundraising. We are, we are targeting the Series B uh, in the next spring around 20 million euros and uh, uh, also with uh, farmers and relevant companies uh, who want to work with us in Europe and Africa and happy to be connected. Great. So I hope some people will listen and reach out to you. I'm sure they will be inspired by your mission. Thank you again so much for sharing your experience today. I hope that green loans will you know, become the inevitable burger <laughs> on the menu of all banks and companies and uh, wish you to keep on having a, a positive impact for all of the farmers and the planet and have a great day robin and hopefully meet you soon someday maybe in berlin all right thanks a lot have a great day if you like this episode you can share it with your friends because sharing is caring and you can give it a five star on apple podcast because this really helps to make it more visible to other entrepreneurs working on a better future like you. If you are busy and might not have the time to listen to all episodes of this podcast, just a little tip. Sign up for my newsletter on gtimpact.com. You will receive the summary of advice from each episode and you will get personal recommendations on which episode you should focus on depending on your current challenges, your industry and your startup stage. Thank you very much and see you next week for the next episode. Have a nice day.